Pigeons 420. Mr. Grow It. And Rob from Cannabis Lifestyle TV. From the Stash Podcast. This show is brought to you by Dutch Pro USA. Nutrients made for growers by growers. From the base nutrients to the explode booster. Dutch Pro USA is bringing you the essentials that all growers need without the extra bottles. Visit Dutch Pro USA or find their products on Amazon.com. Spider Farmer LED. One of the leaders in affordable, quality LED lighting for growers. From the SF Quantum Board Series to the SE Bar Style LEDs. Spider Farmer has you covered without breaking the bank. Find Spider Farmer LEDs on Amazon.com. And AC Infinity. Innovators in the air game. Providing state-of-the-art inline fans, tents, and more to the home grower. Visit acinfinity.com or Amazon to pick up some of their products. And you could save money with any of these brands by checking out the discount codes below in the description. We, we've hashed it out a few times in regards to a few different topics with you. Um, but uh, we were going to hash out uh, uh, breeding. Breeding. Oh, oh, kind of just I think he knows one or two things breaking. about that for sure. We thought we'd, you know, <laughs> we've been a rookie on deck here to give us a little first-time analysis. Yeah, no, it would make sense. Kidding. It would make sense, you know. The legend himself. I think he's 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 done a couple, you know. We were hoping to have a dog father tag along with you as well. I don't know where he is, but it'd be nice to have yeah, I feel like he's a nice middleman to simplify some of the stuff because he's he's slightly newer with it. He's too way too fucking humble about it, but he's a little newer with it and, and he breaks it down for me a lot of times. I'm like, oh, okay, layman's terms, that makes sense. Vader gives me the exact science, and then I hear the rest with with basically doggage being here, Rob dummy here's how you do it i'm like oh good thanks bro thanks bro well, that's just it it could be pretty complicated because i've never tried it um and I, I look from the outside in constantly at least when i watch you do some of your work and it's like if if you were to give any advice to someone who was just starting out breeding um you know if whether it should be like a little bit of experience in the garden i would hope um what would you what would you give off um, I think, you know, at the very beginning of anything, um, one, I'm sure Dago is just caught up in something, but it would be nice to have him here. Uh, <laughs> it does feel good to have his presence. Yeah, no, and I'm totally with you that he can break it down. Um, you can get pretty complicated and you can get a little overwhelmed with it, right? Feel like uh, you're into the deep end a little quickly. At the same time, I think uh, starting off, it's just to keep it simple, um, not to worry about getting too crazy or to overthink um trying to you know all the different stuff that needs to happen with stabilizing or and mono and all that stuff like it's just about starting off with the real simple stuff you know um now depending on your situation whether or not that's going to be like cannabis has its version or what we call feminized breeding right so there's always there's that simplicity to get to down one path and then there's what we consider true breeding which is going to use like true males and true females um, of course, cannabis itself still is going to have those traits uh, that it wants to pass on. So you'll get some of that selfing, as we call it, where the females can show and throw the male um, parts. And it's going to end up throwing out some pollen. but And that is going to produce seeds, but it's not going to be true, as we call it. So it's not going to have the genetic chromosomes for running with male and female. You'll still get seeds out, but you'll need to introduce a true male again to get that XY back instead of it being like XXY, et cetera. Uh, just on that, like really complicated low. So it's like, throw that all away and don't worry about it. Just know that cannabis is going to be different. Um, plants are different than 
humans and even though our genetics are so similar technically uh just in the evolution over the whole span of this planet or uh maybe then the aliens dropped it who knows but um in that That's regard, our next conversation <laughs> yeah we can get into that later no uh in just the simplicity of it again without getting too crazy that uh, you can just pick up some seeds. And um, I generally recommend people as beginners go for true breeds. So try and do males and females. You'll know the parts. You won't have to worry about any complications that come from that. When you use females to hermaphrodite and then put their female pollen on other females, you can run into more genetic mutations, issues like that much quicker. You could have a worse time, have some issues, uh, whether that's some hermaphroditing, whether them just having genetic issues where the flowers grow funky, or maybe they just don't sprout well, all that stuff. If you're new to growing or even just breeding itself, it can be a little overwhelming because you might run into something that will discourage you from continuing in the future. So starting with something really simple, like, hey, you got some good male and female seeds, you sprout those out. You get to look and see what the males look like, what the females look like. Getting familiar with those structures, especially with a particular strain, is a great place to start. So pick a strain that you like, that you're interested in maybe, hey, you've uh, it has a bit of a variety to it. You could start with things that don't, that have been what we call stabilized. Um, a lot of people use stabilized for specific traits, so you'll hear that thrown around. Oh, this one's stabilized, so it's fine. But truly in breeding and agriculture and everything, especially the way the community is going, just remember that if you're going to talk to most people and just ag uh, in general and anything else, that when you talk about stabilizing, you're saying that you're going to end up setting up like a monocrop so that all the seeds are going to come out. I mean, and truly that they're all going to come out looking like they're clones. You're going to pop the seeds and they're going to be pretty much 90% plus similar to each other. If you really get it down, it's going to be, except for a few phenos that are going to be a little runty or whatnot, they're all going to look like clones or twins, right? or triplets or the beyond so they'll all be stabilized or the same you've gotten all the traits stabilized down to pretty much no matter what seed you pop it's the same out but you do that too long and you end up having an issue so that's where starting with something that has a little bit of variety to it going to be pretty similar but you're noticing you're getting some different phenos from it maybe a slightly different taste a little bit different structure that's a great place to start because you're going to know that they're pretty similar and then you're going to be able to start growing out your males and your females and recognizing the traits of what they uh, are putting out. And then when you mix them together, those males and females, then you're going to be able to, just like with humans, you know, oh, mom's got blue eyes and dad's got brown eyes. And which one's um, going to end up having, you know, you want to get brown eyes out of it. So, like, what, how many crosses does it take to get that? Sometimes it's that you put mom and dad together and you get 50-50. Sometimes you get 25%, 75%. And you'll know what direction you go. So that's the simple way of just starting with a real simple trait. Like, I'm looking for something that goes a little bit more color, a little bit more purple, but holds that lemon taste that I love. So that's a great project to start working on and not to be overwhelmed by it. But, um, and then as you get it through that, then with those strains, you'll start to understand them a little bit more. And then you can bridge off to other things. But you will run into real basic stuff like sometimes you're just not going to get gas out of purple. Anything that's going to start promoting xanophil, which is the color purple instead of over chlorophyll, and that xanophil there, purple, right? I'm sure you guys know or like many know that that color there is helping warm up the plant. The sun needs to warm up the plant a little bit more. It's closer to fall or winter time. The sun's lower. It's getting colder, so it needs to be able to move its xylem and phloem up and around. It's going to go purple for that trait. 
now it just happens to be with cannabis and for a long time it doesn't mean you can't get it out but the gas that you get from even like a diesel or an og diminishes greatly anytime that you see that trait so it's not to just correlate them together but those are the things in the thousands of traits that there are sometimes one ends up being more dominant and more recessive as we say in the gene so that's getting the gene stuff and again not to get into like super heavy genetic terminology for those that are just like waltzing right into it but it's something to think about on a real basic level that sometimes if you're going for a certain trait a flavor profile a structure profile something else will just change and it you can't get it that way you can't it's or it's extremely difficult to be able to find the right recessive and right dominant genes to get it to be purple and to have that gas. So if you also find that, don't dis- discourage either. Sometimes you just got to move on to maybe slightly different strain, something with some slightly varied genetics. And then, uh, so once you've got it like, oh, I've got this particular strain down, strain A, pretty good, right? You've been through three or four breed rounds. You get the idea of how the males look, which males are going to pass on the purple. Then you can say, hey, I'm going to go grab, this was an indica strain, and we're just speaking really basic terms without getting into definitions, and then I'm going to grab something that is traditionally more a sativa, and see if that, those genetics with the purple, are going to hand off the purple, but the genetic of the indica gas will hold on. So. Yeah. Fucking. That makes sense. And so, yeah. So, you kind of touched on it. It's, it's, you, you found that um plant that you like right all the the characteristics you're looking for how would you go about like stabilizing that because i know some of these breeders they're looking to actually um they want to capture that and then they want to distribute that to their community or to their their followers whoever um you know how would they go about stabilizing so that their offspring have those characteristics do you have to go down a certain number of generations or would they um feminize those seeds at that point or what so Again, whether it's true breed or feminized is going to depend. That that is less um, often with feminized breeding. It's the concept of it's backcrossing to itself in a in a sense, I guess you would say. So you're going to get to your end result quicker. But again, with feminized, you're going to be at risk more of mutations. Depending on the strains, sometimes you'll grab <clears throat> a particular strain and you'll feminize, and you won't see any of those mutations. Everything will be pretty strong. You'll be doing pretty good. Um, but just overall, that's just the warning for when you're new and you're getting into it, that you may run into those things. So with true breed, um, we're just going to skip off, uh, I'm going to stay away from femme breeding for right now, just to kind of keep it simple. So we can just think in terms of, uh, male and female traits in general and what those bring to either or both parties. But you're going to start with either backcrossing or filial. Now, filial is still a term, a sense of backcrossing because you're still going to be doing, in a sense of backcrossing uh, with breeding, where it's sister brother, sister brother down. So filial is like you've got AB, you cross them, mom and dad, and then you get two kids down below, you know, a bunch of kids because they're a ton of seeds. You're going to grab another brother, sister, put them together, brother, sister, and it's going to keep going down. Um, and then that's how you're going to stabilize your traits. So if that's just true. Now, the other option in back crossing is you've got mom and dad at the very top and then you get kids and then you'll take mom and son and you'll take son and cross that to mom and then grandson to mom and then great grandson to mom. That'll get you to your traits much quicker. So that's where in 
filial like breeding will say that it takes you know five seven years to get there um it, it, five to seven generations so usually like when people say years it's generations because a lot of times it's they're not growing indoors like we are right they're growing outdoors with so you have to use each season um in cannabis you can get a couple seasons out of it or a few seasons because depending on your zone that you're in because you can do light depth and things like that so, but I'm just referring to that uh, real basic kind of concept when you hear a lot of other people in ag talk about it because they're not doing light depth, stuff like that. Uh, that's a little bit more of a connoisseur thing. And you'll find it maybe with orchids and other stuff like that. But um, but for the most part, when people are just kind of talking about it, if you hear them talking about it, that's the reason. And sometimes we will speed things up a little bit because we can through our selection process, through our environment. Dude, it's deep. So that back crossing is going to get you there quicker. Um, that's why a lot of times, like when you see uh, back cross strains, you know, they'll be at that F4 um, or not F4, but uh, S4 as in their back crossing. Sorry, S is like, there's a bunch of different nomenclature about, uh, sorry, feminized and true breed. Um, so I probably shouldn't, we're not even going to dip into that right now or we'll have to get into a whole different, I'll have to bring out another whiteboard. Uh, <laughs> So, but just um, actually in filial breeding, we'll call it, is like you'll get down to those like four generations or seventh generation. Seven, somewhere between five and seven generations usually is pretty good. Some people bring it beyond that. Some people um, can cut it off a little quicker. It kind of depends on what you start with. That's one of the issues too, right? You'll get a strain and it'll be a diesel strain and it'll be close to something else that doesn't say it's diesel, but diesel's in it just a couple up, right? So... When you breed those together, you're not starting at what they refer to as an F1 or the very first generation, like an indica and a sativa. So you're starting with something that actually is already halfway down or pretty close down. So it might actually only take you three crosses to get to something pretty stable instead of it needing to take that generally a good five to seven generations to get it stable. In back crossing, you can get with as far as it goes like son, mom, grandson, mom, and back down all the way usually about four generations and you can get something pretty close and then if you kind of look into it depending on the strains and depending on the lineage that they do come from often it was like kind of a trope that like the the first generation would be pretty good second generation would be kind of weird third generation might be kind of wonky then fourth generation suddenly kind of brings itself back together so even in back crossing you'll see the heightened concept of mutations because you're, cro you're back breeding and inbreeding to itself. And you'll see a higher level of that. So which is why just doing the true breed, male, female, filial breeding, son, daughter, son, daughter of the, the next generation down is the most, is going to give you the best results with the least amount of possible mutations generally. That's usually the best place to start and to kind of get your mind there. And that's traditionally in breeding <coughs> um, in regular agriculture because every year you use your season, every year you get seeds. You don't store clones. We do, right? We hold a mom. So you can actually take seeds and keep crossing that back to mom. You can't do that if you're only doing seeds. So that's why, like, traditionally, you just start with the seeds from each season crossing down. Eventually, you're going to need to introduce something else back into it. If you get to the 11th generation, let's say, you could start getting then mutations that will start to back you into a corner and you'll get all the way to sterility. So they'll end up being sterile and then you won't be able to breed them down anymore. So at some point, you have to add in another lineage strain 
just to throw a little variation in there just to keep it hybridized and then you can keep choosing the traits to keep those traits just like that and stabilize it but you're gonna every five to ten generations throw in something to kind of like pull the genetics back out to keep it healthy because if you keep just doing the same thing over again again you're gonna back yourself into corners so it just happens just like with human beings with the old adage with um the Hasbergs, right, where they were only inbreeding with themselves, a little too royalty, and then you know someone ends up being born without a jaw. Hmm. So same Imagine. kind of stuff happens in cannabis. Yeah. Rockefellers, yeah. super wow. mutated uh, flowers, things like that. And when you try and breed back with them, a lot of times they'll either run off into sterility, or you'll run off into really weird structural traits that just don't lend themselves very well to uh, what we're looking for in the flowers. Damn. So, yeah, so regard. Regardless, regardless of how 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 the avenue you take, you're in this for some time, because I'm assuming like when you get your genetics, you don't even know what you're getting. You know, you might like you might find, you know, that you you really do enjoy that uh, the the euphoric effect from something of one, and then perhaps like a um um I, I don't know I don't know the flavors and and the utopia of another one, uh and and you mix them. Well, then as you said, you can get seventy five or 25 or what if in the next lineage you don't even have what you had the first time it's just it it's it 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 that trait is gone i'm just or 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 one has been accentuated 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 more the okay, traits will still be in the genetics but what is it's what we come down to dominant and recessive traits so one trait will be more dominant because that's how dna is built right like almost like ones and zeros and they'll be matched together and one will overtake another so that same back to like blue eyes or brown eyes, whether or not. Now, sometimes you'll end up having blue eyes and brown eyes and you'll end up getting hazel, right? Something in the middle or you can get yeah, a little bit of a mix. But that reality is, is that, you know, in eyes, um, just to explain that, if somebody were to say like, well, yeah, I know people who got like hazel because they had the, you know, blue dad and brown mom or something like that as far as the eye color goes. But that's because the eyes are more than just those just those traits straight um there is a variance so same thing with plants where it's like you have a purple one you have a green one and then there's some that turn out pretty purple some that turn out kind of lightly purple maybe part of the flower other ones have some pink and purples in them so they're turning on many different traits because these are long lines of dna and right um so there's a lot of micro traits almost in a sense that you'd say in these larger traits Generally, we're going to notice and be able to select these larger traits, and then you'll find those specific. So that's where it gets even deeper, where it's like, oh, it ends up being like really tight and small. It's not just as simple as like, did it turn purple or did it turn green on the kid? Um, it still will vary, but you're going to try and push yourself more towards if you want it purple, purple, then you're going to keep choosing ones that are more purple, and then you'll get there. And before you know it, the plant is um, you're grabbing traits that are more dominant. And so if you take that super purple one and you throw it against a, an old green one, even if you were filial breeding over on this side, now everything will turn purple because it's more dominant than the green trait. So you've chosen the multiple traits to be more dominant over the recessive traits. Okay, so I'm then, sorry, just leading to my next question then, how long would you say that someone will be breeding for before they're, they, can, they can name it their own strain? Because in my opinion, if you're just taking, say, a Gorilla Glue and a and a, a, a Scooby-Doo, you can cross those. You can't just call those whatever you want. 
that's scooby-doo crossed with gorilla glue you know so at what point do you do you do you break that down so far where it's like okay you've got only got one trait or two particular dominant traits and then it's it's significantly different from what you started with or is that even possible or should you like still maintain the lineage in the name kind of thing i think cannabis is slightly different in how we we carry on the names of genetics and stuff because i i believe genetics are getting lost it's, through that's through, that is a good question. Um, I think that traditionally <clears throat> it, it definitely was, and you'd find this nowadays. It's like a lot more open. There's a lot more people in the industry, a lot more people messing around, playing around. The hobby part of it is over. Also, the professional part, like who's a hobbyist and who's professional, right? That's also a question. Like, oh, traditionally it would be stabilized. So for you to come up with a uh, hybrid and then have a new, it'd be a new strain, right? Or a, its own. Um, thing to call it, like give it a new name, you would stabilize it down. So you got something that's purple with big calyx, but you want something that's purple with small calyx and it's not on the market. So you will breed down until you get to all of the phenos down below are purple, but with the small calyx, right? They're not like the diesel that was above it. So now you get to call it um, whatever, gasoline. So it's, it's it's a gas, but it's it's slightly different. So now you get to name it yourself. That would be after you've stabilized it. Traditionally, that's where those names would come. Now, of course, in our market, and, and I absolutely do this too, and you see it with breeders when you're in your own program. If you were to take it, this is where you kind of get into that little bit of the weeds about like where other people have strains that they've developed, and then you just breed with it right away, and you F1 that, and then is that something worth naming or whatnot. Um, we do that in our industry and and we do, I do it too. Um, it's just a part of identifying like, hey, like these ones have specific traits and they're going to be that way. So I think it's just more about being open about it and being clear that people understand what they're getting. Like when we, we have something that's like going to be more of an F1 hybrid and it's going to have a variety of genetics in it and a variety of phenotypes, then we just try and make that open. I think it's okay to name those strains something. Hey, that comes from that. But you, sh you should also kind of be able to follow along and know what those... State the lineage. Uh, yeah, just state the lineage in general. Um, overall, we don't really... There's not so much of a press in our industry or community to really document and keep it really clear. F1, F2, F3, um, or S1, S2, three. you know, if you're in FEMS. And then vice versa. What do you do when you're F1, F2ing, seeing true breed down three generations? Then you do a few generations of, say, feminized breeding or a couple. And then you go back to true breeding. You take an old grandparent from that same lineage strain and get back into the femme just to kind of get the true breed back out of it. Then, then you get really deep into those genetic trees. So we don't see that published material too often. We take note of all of our stuff and have material for that, right? We do log everything. But even us, we don't really get into the whole weeds of publishing all that. And you don't see that in the industry. It would be great if we all did that. One of the reasons I've done that in the past, one of the reasons I haven't, though, is that people miss. They take that information and, makes, and speculate about it uh, a lot. And it gets really confusing for people. So I think that's one of the reasons that we don't see that happen is one, 
people lose that information. And then two, people are confused about what those strains are really. Because kind of like you mentioned before, if I get something, I have to really trust from a breeder or from someone else that it is that thing. So when we get stuff, we kind of, our intuition is what we end up using from, and not just intuition, but our experience. So like if you're familiar with diesels, again, then when you grow diesel seeds out, you're going to make that selection process of like, this is like diesel. Or if you get something from someone and you're like, no, I have a lot of experience with diesel and this is not diesel. Someone is misrepresenting this. Maybe there was some diesel in it, but when they made their selection, it went way more Mendo, right? And now this is this should be identified as a Mendo strain. So you'll end up kind of taking that for granted. And so many people do. And so many people miss, miss what traits actually are. And anyone who has a lot of or a decent amount of experience with cannabis and even getting into breeding and trying people's stuff out um, has run into plenty of situations at which you realize like you, you might go along with like, oh, that's nice when someone's calling something gas, but realize like they're off the mark on gas. I get it, but they're they've picked up gas as earthy, right? So there's or an earthy gas thing. It's just smelly. Yeah, or smelly. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Loud. Taste. People are describing gas yeah, as and taste. It's hard. You, taste you have to have gas. a lot of experience to really differentiate those different traits so unless you're actually getting terpene tests and things like that and even then how someone interprets it in their own uh senses is also slightly different so this is where we start to really get into the weeds and which is why like the connoisseur part comes into this like really deep conversation it almost becomes philosophical about Mm -hmm. like breeds and traits and how they're going to be passed around because the speed moves so quickly so many people are doing it whether it's on purpose or even by accident. We've all been there where something along the line, hermaphroditized, threw some pollen on something else, you got some seeds, you saved them for a couple of years. You liked both those strains. For whatever reason, on a whim, you grow some out, and you find something crazy. It's like, okay, shoot. So that being passed on, even like that stuff does happen, and it's totally viable. So people, when even people ask, like, oh, hey, I had something herm, and should, should I just throw these seeds away? Like, no, I mean, it's up to you whether or not you think it might make something. Check it out. There's nothing wrong with that either, as long as everything's healthy. The biggest issue is for seeds and genetics, and one of the biggest things to do is that, like, if your room was in bad shape, meaning, oh, it didn't really work too well, and I had spider mites half the time, and oh, everything was all messed up, but I did get some seeds out of it. Well, then note that because they were so damaged during their, right, they had so many pests or so many problems, those seeds are going to be at a much higher rate of having mutations and issues. So that's where we get into the part where like genetics get kind of messed up because of the speed of how, especially when accidents happen, rooms and things aren't as healthy as they should be. You're not going to get the proper genetics out of it. So the biggest thing, even with breeding, and probably back to that very simple answer in the beginning is like, Keep it super healthy. Keep it super simple. And that's going to be your base to, to launch from. And then at that point, the more experience you get, the more you're just going to get the hang of it. The more you're going to get the muscle memory or the mind memory out of it. Chris, just be the next level. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me ask you a big picture question. I know you've been um, breeding for, um, shit, how many years did you say you were breeding? I forget. On the Garden Talk one. 15? Uh, I've been doing like seed seed breeding for probably 15 years now or yeah, I guess just over so, 15 years. So 15 years, right? Um, do you feel like you're still learning is like, are we still as breeders, uh, you know, very knowledgeable, are you still learning and still finding things out like in the, 
the breeding side of things. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. We're still um, finding things out, I, on you know? two different ways. On um, there's always a, can, it's an endless journey on what traits you're going to pull out and what you're going to get. There's a lot of genetics out there, um, and a lot of those things thrown into modern hybrids and stuff um, to pull out unique things. You still can find there's still the fringes gradient. It's less. It's like the bell curve, right? There's a ton of stuff in the middle, like on this big bell curve. Um, that's all the new hybrids and that we keep doing each other and, and that kind of keeps it stable. But out on the edges are those super old school sativas still floating around on someone's farm from their uncle, right? And it's not just in seed form. Some of those people are still doing it and they've just been doing it. They haven't been keeping up on the forums or Instagram or anything like that for 20 years. They're just kind of doing their thing. Every once in a while they get some weed in, but those genetics have been with have been held up and then vice versa over on the other side, something super sativa. So um, somewhere across the world people are doing it off in other countries and so we still get access to these things um but it's it's again that gradient or bell curve where it's much lower on the so it's much harder to find things on the outside now the more experience you have the more popularity you might have like someone like me more um recognize or not recognizability but in the sense that like i have much more connection that people are going to reach out to me and contact me and then I'm going to have access to those kinds of things. So that is definitely something, a privilege that I have through all the experience and work and the time that I put in and being around and sorry, notoriety is what I was going to say. Um, meaning. So having that kind of notoriety, having that like awareness, people knowing of it, then I can have access if I pursue it to be able to find that stuff. Or you can take the strain hunters approach and literally get out there and knock on doors, right? Like really try and hunt it down. So there's still that stuff, but it's going to be much harder um, to to get into that. So you, we still will always be learning from it. I think there's still plenty of traits and plenty of places that cannabis can go. Also with the expectation of industry, like as far as consumers go or users, um, participants, uh, you're also going to find us going in certain directions. The flowers of today are different than 15 years ago. You can still grow a good OG from the 90s, right? Some chem dog and stuff. And they're still really unique flowers. But as far as like when you walk into a shop, especially in Cali and stuff like that, the, the level at which we've turned up the density and certain play, flavor profiles, the expectation that people have of the kind of flowers they're going to get and the structure. So when they go to break the calyx down and roll it up, it's going to burn a certain way, right? That has really lent itself to a certain place. And we as breeders are trying to get to those fringes a little bit more and learn more. So I definitely say that, yes, I'm always learning. There'll be an endless battle. I will die before. I mean, of course, like, right. It'll go on for another for thousands of more years, um, even with now the next part, which is learning the technology. We're learning new technologies for breeding. Uh, there is the traditional, hey, we're going to go into the room. We're going to pollinate this and we're going to keep going generations down. Everything will be um, fine in that way. And then you're getting into like nowadays genetic editing, right? As we call it. So then you can start actually um, injecting in these gene variants and changing things around at a quicker pace. So just in general, you can usually breed your, take your breeding down about twice as fast by doing that. You still have to go through different generations and do it. You're not just going in, looking at a computer code, ones and zeros, and saying, I'm going to move this around. I'm just going to move this around. Here we go. Now we got the perfect 
uh, gas and purple together. It doesn't work like that either. And that's one thing I think a misconception people think of when it comes to like genetic editing is that like, oh yeah, they can just like plug in all those traits and they're just going to get it. Doesn't quite work like that. You still have to go in, but what you can start doing is identifying small sequences of those genes and then take those sequences that you identify together. Cause like I was saying, it's not just purple is this trait and green is this trait. So now whatever one's dominant or recessive, you're going to get the pinks and the middles and all that, but you can find the strands and then implement those. And that generally lends itself to being about twice as fast. So we're still learning. I'm still always learning about new technology, new ways to go through breeding and whether or not that's going to be helpful in our program. There are plenty of things that we could implement into our program that we just don't find to be as helpful. It's going to take too much technology, too many um, right tools that are going to be really expensive. You're going to have to be careful in that environment. I think it's the same way that like, if we just get into like a really small example is tissue culture. That's a bit more of an advanced technology when it comes to cloning. Anyone can take a plant and this tall and cut it at the base, put it in soil with water and there's a decent chance in a lot of healthy, at least old school strains, things are just going to root. You don't have to, there's no rooting compound. You don't need anything special. Nature's going to do its, do its work. We've gotten more finicky nowadays where we've like chosen a crazy plants and then we've cloned in a certain way. So we're used to seeing it that way. Um, but that's real basic cloning. Advanced technology like is, yes, using Clonex or using a hormone or something like that to start promoting it. But then you're getting into tissue culture where you're going to need to have these extra tools like augers. You're going to need to know about them. You're going to need to know the mixes. You're going to need to have a sterile environment, so a hood to do it in so you don't have any extra fungi or bacteria or something that take over and end up having a problem. And that requires the facility, the tools, and that's a lot of extra money. So it depends on that technology as well, which is why it's always good to educate yourself about the technology, even try the technology out, see if, it, if you can get access to something, if it works for you. But often you might find that that technology is, is above the scope of what you need, <clears throat> especially at the scale at which you operate. And, and that's okay. Don't be overwhelmed also by seeing other technologies or other people using certain technologies and then thinking like, oh, I'm so far behind, this won't, it won't matter. But that's not, that's not how it works. Everyone has a variety of the way that, you know, what their end goals are and uh, the kind of lifestyle you want to live to while you explore those goals, while you that's work really your way point. towards something. And that's the big part is like, what are you comfortable with and what works within your system and in your lifestyle? Jesus, Vader, I'm telling you right now, there are not too many people that could sit and keep the three of us that quiet for that long. Our viewership go up to 250 plus people God, and, and us just up. listening to the gospel. The church was in session and we was listening. So uh, that was incredible.